Hello again, dear friends. Welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Dylan Bowman. Today, we are joined by Eric Sensman, a friend and now a former professional trail runner living in Flagstaff, Arizona. Last week, Eric announced his retirement from the sport on his Instagram, a post that drew a lot of supportive compliments of Eric and his character and a post that I will read here in just a second. But upon hearing about Eric's retirement, I was immediately compelled to reach out and have him on the show to explore the decision, the contemplation that went into it, the realities of being a pro trail runner and why now felt like the right time. And of course, talk about what comes next personally and professionally for Mr. Eric Sensman. As someone who's been struggling with similar thoughts and a similar decision, this was a therapeutic conversation for me and hopefully something that you all enjoy as well. To set the context for the episode, I'm going to go ahead and read the caption of Eric's post here. He says, bring on retirement. I ran my last race as a pro trail runner at the Ozark Trail 100 this past weekend. I didn't finish. The details are long and uninteresting. The thing worth noting is that I poured everything I had into competing at ultramarathons for 12 years. There were a few highs and a lot of lows. I'm most proud of how I dealt with the lows over the years. I would fail, pick myself up, and then work harder and get better and fail again. And I kept showing up at the start lines and I always dreamed big. In short, I wanted to find out how good I could be and I've ended my competitive running career because I think I found out. There is no stone left to turn over. In not finishing my last race, I'm reminded of what I learned after my very first ultramarathon. This is a very difficult sport and success does not come easy. It's an important lesson that's difficult to learn except through experience. And I'm very grateful for the many lessons. Nothing worth having should come easy. I hope my limited and fleeting success inspires other people to keep dreaming big and working hard and showing up. Always keep dreaming. It's crazy what you can accomplish when you do. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Eric Sensman. Big thank you to Free Trails presenting sponsor Speedland, the hyper-performance trail footwear startup from Portland, Oregon. We are now celebrating the launch of Speedland's fourth footwear commission, the GSPGH, the signature shoe of legendary trail runner and world-class bow hunter, Speedland athlete, Mr. Cameron Haynes. The GSPGH is shipping now. In fact, all pre-orders should now be either on the way if they haven't already arrived to our valued customers. The GSPGH does have a few important updates from its predecessor, the GS TAM. Those are a lower color height on the upper, a new HTPU midsole compound that is both lighter and stronger, improving Speedland's trademark durability. We've got a revised internal midsole geometry, improving both fit and functionality. A few other small adjustments, making a great product even better. I'm still running in a proto pair of the GSPGH. It probably has over 500 miles on it at this point and still feels good as new. Premium product, but a great value over the long term. Visit runspeedland.com, use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off your purchase. Eric Sensman, welcome back to the podcast, buddy. Nice to see you. Great to be back, Debo. Thanks for having me. 
Appreciate you making time. We're, of course, going to be talking mostly about your recent retirement announcement. In fact, I think I'll read your whole post in the introduction that I record for this episode. But first, I need to pose my traditional opening question to you here. You have been on the show before, but it was preceding my introduction of this new opening question. And I have a feeling that we'll circle back to it later in the conversation. So to get things started, Mr. Eric Sensman, what makes you, you? What are your unique attributes, character traits, strengths, and weaknesses? How do they show up in your life? Yeah, you hit, you hit with that deep dive right off the, the bat here. I like that. Um, yeah, I think, so you, you gave me uh, some advance notice, which was nice. I got to think about this a little bit. Um, and the first thing I thought of is when I was a young man, practically a boy, uh, I was in college, but um, I took my first philosophy class and um, I forget who said it, but someone said there's nothing more dangerous than a false belief. And that uh, that had an impact on me, I mean, immediately and through the rest of my life. And I think um, was very influential in how I developed as a person. Uh, So I guess to answer your question. I think what makes me me is I just try to be very authentic, you know, like Mm. I don't try to put on airs or pretend to be somebody I'm not. Um, I think the truth, you know, uh, broadly um, is super important. And this is like who you are is sort of a instantiation of that. Um, So trying to to be who you are, I think, is important. So. I'd say that's it. Yes. All right. Well, this is perfect. Now, I'm so glad that we uh, we started here uh, because I was sort of debating, well, you know, he's been on the show before. We're going to mostly talk about his retirement, but that's a, a beautiful first answer. And I'm sure we'll find ways to weave this throughout the rest of our conversation here today. So I went back and watched the film that Rabbit made about you in the 2023 black Canyon called not a bad thing on YouTube. And the video starts with you saying something to the effect of I'm, I'm very okay with failure and it's reflected in sort of the style and strategy that you typically employ on the race course. And it was sort of in reference to your unsuccessful attempt at securing another golden ticket at black Canyon this year. So, and I feel like the, just the concept of, of failure is important for us to explore here as we start to talk about retirement. So maybe just starting there, what, what's been your relationship with, with failure over the course of time as a pro athlete and how does the the concept of failure sort of manifest in this retirement decision? Yeah. Uh, well, first and foremost, Debo, you, you really gave him some great clips to pull, uh, for that video. I mean, you were, uh, (laughs) You were being very kind in your analysis. So uh, thanks for that. Um, yeah, so I think it's a tough sport, right? Like you just, you you, you fail a lot. I mean, even the best. Um, take a, a Zach Miller who just got second at UTMB. I mean, that guy's wanted to win UTMB for a decade. And you know, how many times has he run it and not won? keeps going back, keeps going back, keeps training for it. Um, 
that's just one example. But um, for for me, uh, I was never I was always okay with not achieving what I wanted to um, because I just really enjoyed what I was doing. Like I didn't care so much about the result. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed the process to get there. So like the result was what it was. Um, and and I suppose I have a bit of a a stoicism in the sense that like that never made me who I was, whether or not I won a race or, or you know that that just wasn't that didn't define me. Um, so I was okay with not achieving maybe what I wanted to. But on the on the flip side of that, I think as I sort of allude to in that video, I think it also allowed me to get more out of myself mm. because when it did go right it went right on a scale that I think doesn't happen for most people. I, I, I've had this conversation. I'm, I'm digressing a little bit here, but I've had this conversation with multiple people and I'm like, man, I wish that I could go into other people's like bodies and minds when they're running an ultra and see if the experience is the same for them as it is for me. Yeah. Because when I race ultras, especially when they go well, especially when they go well, I feel like I'm going to die. It's so, so, so painful. And yeah, just uh, so I don't know if this directly answers your question, but the ability to go into something and not not be deterred by the possibility of failure, I think it just allows you to really, when it when it works, just get way more out of yourself. Okay. All right. Yeah, we're definitely going to come back to this too. <laughs> so... I don't know if you recall this, but at Black Canyon at the finish line this year, you came up to me, I think, yeah. knowing that I've been struggling with my own running for a while now and said something to the effect of like, Dylan, when, I came up to you because I look up to you and we're friends, but yeah, go thank ahead. You. Yeah. But also like, I think we, you, you did identify something in my experience with the sport right now that was sure. akin to something that you were feeling too. And that you said something to the effect of like, you know, when do you know it's, it's time to hang them up. And so clearly this retirement decision has been something that has been germinating in your brain now for at least, you know, since February of this year. So uh, maybe just starting with that, like how how long have you been, been thinking about it and where were you at that point at black Canyon, like to sort of, you know, make that conscious and intentional decision to come and ask me about where my head was at. Yeah, I think it started for me after Western States in 2021. So that would have been over two years ago now, almost two years ago, you know, when when we spoke in February. And I just that that race, man, it uh I think it can ruin careers and I think it can make careers. Um I I uh I wish it had been uh, career maker, uh, not breaker for me, but I was just so devastated. I mean, it was a third time in 2021. I'd gone to that. I'd raced my way in, got the golden ticket. I felt like I had figured things out from the first two attempts. Um, and I just really believed that I was capable of being competitive at that race. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, it was just like, uh, well, objectively the best one, um, my best time, my best placing, everything else, but it felt the worst. Like I was never in it. Yeah. Um, and so coming away from that, I was just like, man, I don't want to do things 
that I can't be the best at, <laughs> you know, like that, that's maybe a cra- or reductionist, uh, reductionistic, but like, it's not even that it is that to an extent, but I think more so it's, I want to be the best that I can be at the things that I do. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that performance of Western States was like a degradation of previous, um, efforts there. Like my, I had gotten worse almost, mm-hmm. or that's how it felt. And it's, it's a, a good thing and a bad thing when you know how good you can be. Yeah. Um, and in this case, I think it was a, it's a bad thing because it's like, if I can't be that, I, you know, I don't know if I want to do this because I don't get the same joy out of it. That's what I always loved about ultra running yeah. is, was my ability to compete, love competing. Um, I'm super competitive. That's what hundred miles. I'm not really that interested in running a hundred miles, 50 miles. Like, honestly, I was never that interested in running 50 miles. What I was interested in was winning races or trying to. Yeah. So, okay. So this is going to be really interesting too. And I can totally identify with the feeling of like, I don't want to do stuff that like, I don't feel that not necessarily that you're the best at, but that like, you're not good enough at, right. In other words, like, how do you justify investing so much time and energy and money into performing well at Western States year after year when the result, certainly after the fact, does not make you feel like that investment is justified, right? And at a certain point, that becomes really painful and frustrating. So I want to share with you sort of why I wanted to have this conversation with you so much. And it was Last week I was out running and I've been struggling with my running for a couple of years now, but I've been kind of doing some tempos again. I'm maybe doing 50, 60 miles a week, still a far cry from what I used to do. And I was super committed and invested myself. But that morning, the morning you had done your post, I said to Harmony, Hey, you know, I think I'm about ready to just hang them up. You know, I just like the pain of, sort of identifying as a professional athlete while not behaving or feeling like a professional athlete just causes so much internal friction for me that sometimes I feel like I'd be happier if I just sort of like drew the line in the sand and made the decision and walked away. Anyway, went out on my run that morning and Harmony and our good friend Kim Gaylord went out for their own run a short time after me and I bumped into them as I was coming back and we all stopped and chatted for a second. And Kim said to me, Hey, did you see Eric Sensman's post? I said, no, what are you talking about? And she said, Oh yeah. He just posted this great, like heartfelt thing about, you know, he DNF'd at his most recent race and, and he's making the decision to retire. And on the spot right there, I pulled out my phone without even looking at your post. And I texted you retirement pod question mark. Um, and because like, I've so been, been wrestling with this myself. So, you know, now sort of getting into the meat of things and to the decision, you know, the straw that did break the camel's back. I mean, tell us about what happened at Ozark and what about that experience made you feel like it was the right time to walk away? Uh, great story, by the way, that that's probably the coolest story about how anyone found out that I said I wasn't going to be running anymore. The fact that anyone was talking about it, uh, really is, um, I mean, a compliment, but like kind of amazing to me. Like I didn't, I didn't even know if I was going to say anything. Right. 
it's just like, oh, I just DNF'd another race. Um, you know, I've, I've done that plenty of times. Like, yeah, maybe I just kind of walk away and that's that. Um, I guess I felt, so, so I'll get into your question here in a minute, but in terms of the actual, like, I don't know, I think it's kind of lame, like to be like, oh, I'm retiring. You know, if, uh, if Mookie Betts, uh, tomorrow says I'm retiring, like, yeah, Mookie Betts should be telling people, um, he's an outfielder for the Dodgers for those who don't know. Um, and, and a very good player, but like, you know, ultra running, it's just, it's a small sport. It's like professional is a different sort of label. Um, I think, and like, it doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal, but in any case, I guess I felt, uh, I should make my intentions clear. Um, and in all that rambling, uh, I, I suppose I, I don't know where to start in terms of answering your question, but I think you really hit the the nail on the head with what you said there about the time like the commitment to this sport is any sport at a high level but ultra running especially it's it's just it requires so much of you it requires everything like let's say you know you're running 15 hours a week that's a lot well it's not just those 15 hours of running it's the mental and physical preparation ahead of time it's the recovery afterwards it's being so tired all the time that you can't do anything else so like you really are making committing your life um to this sport and i think there is beauty in that um but you have to enjoy it if you don't enjoy it then it's a real struggle um and i think that's ultimately where i got and and results are part of that for sure Mm -hmm. like i've said you know i i never really didn't let that kind of like determine who I was or my worth. And I think that's true. At the same time, I think it's also true that uh, when you don't have those results, it's not as fun, like all that hard work. Um, and then you, you really just don't, you aren't able to like go out there and uh, put it, put it to use and like feel good about all the work you did, that sort of thing. So th- yeah, that, that had kind of been going on um, for the last couple of years since States in 21. Um yeah, I don't know if you want to add anything, and then I can go into uh, Ozarks in particular. Yeah, well, I, I just, yeah, kind of reiterating that not only does it compromise the fun when the results don't reflect the investment and the commitment and the desire to perform, but it's also like beyond not being fun, it fucking hurts emotionally, right? Because it's sort of like, well, why am I wasting my time on this? Like, that was six months of my life, like flushed down the drain. Like, what do my sponsors think about this? Now I got to think, Hey, my contract's coming up. What if they walk away? What if they reduce the amount they pay me? All those things are always in our heads. And I want to come back and, and really just talk more about the, the reality of being a professional athlete. But before we get there, I think it's important to just talk about this Ozark race and why that was the, the point at which you decided to draw this line in the sand. Yeah. So I had decided, um, after, I mean, gosh, after Black Canyon, not long after that, I was like, I'm doing one more hundred and I'm done. And I had signed up for Vermont, which was in July. Um, cause it's a, another classic, you know, um, not point to point like Western States, but basically every mile is unique, uh, which I really like that style of race. And yeah, just the history and 
some some really strong runners have run that course and it, it fit well. But then uh, it was canceled a few days before due to uh, unprecedented rain in the the state was in a um, a state of uh, national emergency. Um, I forget the exact term that designates um, that level of like problem, but mm-hmm. it was like very serious. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the flooding and they're worried about dams breaking and roads were getting washed out. Part of the course was underwater a few days before the race. So, it, I mean, it was serious. I think they made the right call um, in not having to race. And it may have been fortunate because I actually got COVID nine days before Vermont. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't test negative to like two days before, but I was just going to run it. Uh, but it got canceled. So I said, okay, um, man, I really wanted to be done with this. Uh, what am I going to do now? So I started looking into, uh, other races and there aren't that many hundreds, <laughs> like, uh, at least that, um, I was interested in, like, I want to point to point ideally. Um, that's kind of it. Like yeah. that was my criteria and like, there aren't that many. So I came across this, those are trail 100 and I was like, Oh, it's actually pretty old. It's been around for 15, 16 years. Um, it's back in Missouri where I'm from. Yep point point to point uh we'll just we'll do that um but it wasn't until the end of october so i was like man i gotta like force myself uh to be a professional athlete for a few more months um and uh you know i think i put my best foot forward and like things actually went pretty well um getting ready for it i had my buddy Stephen kirsch uh coaching me that's like one of the only times i've had someone write training for me wow um yeah in 12 years of ultra running but i just couldn't i couldn't make myself run yeah. it was crazy really like oh it was so bad man so you were like, you were like, already checked out i mean at yeah. least that's my interpretation yeah. i was checked out now under coach steve we got up to uh 93 miles a week so like I was back to training pretty solid. Look at Coach but, Steve drawing up the big <laughs> volume. Come on. I would have to coach Steve. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Dylan, it was crazy. Like after Vermont, I'd be like, all right, I got to start training again. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to do a three hour run on Saturday. And Saturday would come and I'd wake up and I'd be like, nah, man, I don't want to run for three hours. <laughs> like that sounds horrible. And then I'd be like, all right, I'll just go run for an hour. Like just get something in. Yep. And then I'd be like, nah, you know, what's an hour run going to do? I'm just, I'm not, even, I just wouldn't run. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, oh, I need somebody. If somebody just draws up training for me, I'll do it. But I just, I just can't make myself do it. So anyhow, things went well. And I feel like this is becoming way too long of a story. So I'm going to condense the rest. <laughs> I strained my calf uh, 30 days exactly before Ozark. Yeah. I was doing a workout and, uh, pulled up like it hurt it hurt but didn't seem too bad it never got never healed before ozark like it, i was running very little for that next four weeks um the pain was just always there every step um and yeah on, on race day you know eventually that was a problem uh not so much the pain itself in the calf but i think unconsciously I was, my biomechanics were like adjusting a bit, yeah. you know, in like, uh, in response to that pain. And so after like 20 miles, it was just like everything, it felt like I'd run a hundred Yeah, and everything just started on the right side where that calf was strained, like just getting really like locked up and like just everything was so messed up by mile 40. I was still running. Like I was still running everything, but like I was running 14 minute pace. It was crazy. <laughs> 
Like I've never run 14 minute pace in my life. So uh-huh. I, I just wasn't healthy. I think is the short story. Um, and then the next day after the race, it, it was like, I don't know, a weight was lifted. Okay. All right. So let's come, uh, let's come back to that. But I mean, I now super identify with what you just said too, because a lot of what I've been experiencing is kind of the change in motivation too. And in my best years, I was so disciplined. I never missed a workout. I never cut a run short. And now it happens all the time where I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to try and do this today. And then I call Harmony. I'm like, hey, will you pick me up here? <laughs> I just don't want to do it. Right. And like, and I think those are the early indications that, you know, you're not as invested anymore. So you said that you made the decision kind of at Black Canyon. I'm going to run one more hundred, then we're walking away. Had things gone perfectly at Ozark, do you think you would have adhered to that? commitment yeah you were i do Mm. i mean it's hard to say right because it didn't but um i think it's harder to walk away when it doesn't go well in in that scenario personally um yeah because you're like give me one more shot yeah exactly (laughs) go out on a high note (laughs) yeah right but then like i woke up the next day and i was like thank god i don't have to do that again um wow i mean and and maybe i will i don't know yeah it could be next year it could be in 10 years, what maybe there will come a day when I say, Oh, I really want to go do a hundred miles again. And if that day comes great, um, it, I'm not going to be doing it competitively. Yeah. I can tell you that. Uh, but yes, right now, no interest at all. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it was an easy decision, but hard to say if it had gone well. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and our brand new collaborative product, Orange Drank. The brand new formula and flavor of Gnarly's flagship endurance drink makes Fuel 2.0, which I've been evangelizing here on the podcast for a couple of years now. Orange Drank comes with a salted orange flavor and appropriately an increased concentration of sodium. You all know I'm a huge electrolyte guy in training, racing, and in daily life. So we decided to reformulate the mix and add a bit more of that salty stuff. I couldn't be happier with the finished product. It's so delicious, but more importantly, it will make you feel like a superhero while you're out getting your shred on. Typical of all the Fuel2O products, Orange Drank also has 560 milligrams of HMB, a metabolite of branched-chain amino acid leucine to help prevent muscle breakdown and reduced post-workout soreness. You get carbs, electrolytes, calories, HMB, hydration. It's everything you need straight from your bottle. Simplicity, one of the main reasons why I've always relied on liquid calories. It's so cool for us to have this product collab out in the world. Orange shoes with Speedland, orange drank with Gnarly. Go pick up a bag today. Go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. So coming back to the hard realities of being a pro athlete in a niche sport, I imagine part of this was kind of frustration, like we've talked about, change in motivation, which we talked about. I wondered how much could be attributed to economics or like how much of it was lifestyle related, like those more practical things. Yeah. Uh, So I should start by saying um, my, the sponsors I had were always, I mean, just really great. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, 
I could kind of do, I could run the races I wanted. I could kind of, I didn't feel beholden to anyone. Um, now rabbit was the only one really paying me. Um, my other sponsors would be gear or maybe a bonus structure, um, maybe some travel money, but like rabbit was the only one actually, um, you know, paying me come what may. So maybe that was part of it too. Like, I just didn't feel like anyone had anything over me. Like I didn't, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that makes sense. Totally. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and I always, I always had other income. I always worked. Yeah. Like I never was just a runner. Um, I always had jobs to make money. So yeah, it, that none of that was ever an issue, which is I think really lucky. Um, I think it's a lot more difficult in this sport because it's such a niche sport and, and, fewer eyeballs and less money and all of that to really be a, a pro athlete. Like, you know, I don't know, but if we were to really look at the sport and say, okay, what's like a living wage, let's say it's, I don't know, let's call it 40 grand a year um, is a living wage. Like how many U S runners are making 40 grand a year in the ultra running scene? I don't think it's very many. I don't know, but I don't think there's that many true professionals. Um, so yeah, I don't, is that good? Is that bad? Uh, I don't know. I definitely think it's harder though, if it is your only job yeah. and your only source of income. So coming back to what we talked about, about how being a pro athlete is just fucking brutal. You know, that's why my show <laughs> focuses on stories of people like you, because I think pro athletes are heroes who succeed and fail so publicly and whose lifestyle epitomizes total dedication, but it's so hard. And I think there's a lot of people who see what the pros do in our sport on Instagram. And it's not clear to them that it's a very hard way to make a living. What, what do you think are the things that are, are like most misunderstood about, you know, being a, a professional athlete and what, if anything from the lifestyle, are, are you most eager to leave behind? I'm, I'm currently, I have a draft of a article for, for rabbit. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Which, uh, I don't know. I've, I've been going back and like, I gotta like go away from it for a day and then come back and try to make sense of what I've written and it, it's not done, but like, I'm really trying to describe without, without being wordy. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to be succinct about it, but to describe what, in part what you were just asking about, which is like, or, or pointing out, it's really fucking hard to be at a high level in this sport. And it sounds great and glamorous. So like, oh yeah, I'd love to win Western States. Like, I'm sure there's thousands of ultra runners, you know, who, who want that or think that or whatever. But like the reality of what it takes to get there most people would be unwilling or unable to accomplish um, because I've seen what it takes to, for example, win Western States. Um, not because I did it to be clear, uh, but because I know someone who has you, everything in your life that you like that isn't running take, it has to take, uh, you know, the backseat, yeah. everything, everything. Um, 
I, 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 I don't know which examples to go into or how many times, but like, I don't know. Um, do you like to drink? Okay. Well, you should you, you, really, if you want to win Western States, you should not be drinking or you should be drinking very little. Yeah. Um, do you, do you like to spend time uh, with your significant other? Okay. You have to do a lot less of that if you want to win Western State. I'm dead serious. Like, yeah. I, it's like, I, hey, babe, it, you want to lay is... on the couch again tonight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you want to, oh, it's Saturday. You should go down to Oak Creek and like, you know, sit in the sit in the creek and have a beer and whatever. No, you can't do that. You have to go run for four hours and then you're going to be so tired that you're not going to want to do anything else. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know how to succinctly like explain all that except to just say what you said, which is this sport is a, it's a, it looks glamorous when you're at the top, but it's you, people don't see what's underneath like yeah. the, the 90% of the iceberg. Right. Yeah. And it is just like, it's physically painful. And then I think we can't overemphasize the amount, or at least from speaking for myself, the amount we do, the amount of time we do spend in our own heads contemplating the security of our jobs. And when that's the case, when you're on these sort of short-term contracts that very much depend on your performance and you only have four or five opportunities to perform a year and three or four of those don't go perfectly, it's that very four or five. That, that that's even a lot, right? I yeah. mean, in my experience, it was hard for me to try to raise yeah. four or five times hard every year. But yeah, yeah. Go and on. even if you do have great sponsors like Rabbit, who understand your worth outside of standing on podiums, it also feels shitty to be paid as a professional athlete when you're not standing on podiums. Like you feel like yeah. a fraud. And anyway, we're, we're making it sound like it's the worst job in the world. It probably is one <laughs> of the best jobs in the world. It's an amazing thing, but I just think it's important to communicate that it's not glamorous. Nobody's getting rich. Everybody is suffering. And so I very much identify with the feeling of like, all right, man, I can't do this anymore. Right. I can't do this anymore. And so anyway, that kind of leads me into something else I wanted to talk to you about, which was, you know, my brother hosted a podcast with me as a guest after hard rock this year. And one of the things we talked about was how in most professional sports, there is a moment where athletes have to confront the decision of retirement. And to this point, there haven't been a lot of high profile retirements in professional trail running. And especially in this age of social media and influencers, you can kind of craft a, a career and be useful to brands and partners beyond just performing well and finishing on podiums like we were just talking about. So why draw, draw the line in the sand now? Like why make this so explicit? And maybe this is a good time for you to expand on the feeling of freedom that came the morning after you woke up from the Ozark yeah. 100. <laughs> uh, yeah. So again, to, to credit my sponsors, um, I, they would have resigned me. Like I could have kept doing it. Uh, I think I'm, I'm very lucky. Like I haven't raced very well the last few years. Um, but I think I have these brands that really believe in me and that's awesome. Uh, what you just, what you just started describing is my worst nightmare to be in this sport and to be anything, to be 
known, recognized, admired, anything for anything beyond your ability as an athlete, man, I don't want that. <laughs> like I, that's the opposite of what I want. Like love me because I, I, I won JFK one time. Don't love me because uh, I have a mustache and you think it's cool. You know what I mean? Or like, you like my posts. I mean, I, you know, that's fine. I get it. Um, I don't want that. Like, that's not what I want to be known for. So as soon as my performance is not at a level that I think is high enough that I should even be in a conversation anymore, I I don't, I'm, I'm done. You know, like to be an influencer, that's like I've had someone call me an influencer before. And like I almost just disintegrated. Like I (laughs) I felt so small and like, oh, no. Um, And that's fine. Some people, that's what that's what they want. Whatever. I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing for anyone else. For me personally. uh, To be an athlete, I just wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to be good at the the sport that I chose to do. Um, And beyond that. I'm not really that interested in like being around, I guess, or like in the conversation or in the scene. Like I, I feel like I'm rambling a bit, but no, no. So, so all at once. this is, this is good though, because this is somewhere where again, our, our overlap is significant because I've gotten to the point now where most people associate me with my podcast and with free trail than they do with what I accomplished as a pro athlete myself. And it makes me cringe a lot of the time. Right. And that's, so that's the reason why without going into too much detail, I I try and set things up to where partnerships go through free trail and what we do rather than, you know, go through me as an athlete anymore, because like, I don't want to feel like I'm a fraud. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And for any listeners out there, who don't know the great history of Dylan <laughs> Bowman's uh, career. This man has been seventh, fifth, and third at Western State. How did you remember that, bro? Yeah, in, come on. In that order. <laughs> and I think that fourth year, I was thinking, I was telling people you were going to win, not that anyone was listening. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so you, Dylan Bowman is no fraud. But I understand, uh, yeah, that's exactly it. It's yeah. like, I don't. That's not for me, man. Yeah. Like, I don't even want, it's really nice and it's really cool. Like, man, uh, it was like four years ago. My sister got married in Jackson, Wyoming, and we're just like in a diner. And this guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, are you Eric Sensman? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I am. And he's like, oh, man, that's great. I'm an ultra runner. You know, I know who you are, basically. And like, that's, that's really cool. Like, like that. It's a good feeling. I'm not telling. It's a good feeling, but um, I'm telling that just by way of like an example. I never wanted any of that. Like, I didn't get into ultra running to like try to be um, famous or something. You can't even be famous in ultra running. Like anyone that's famous in ultra running sort of transcends the sport. You know what I mean? Like a a Killian or a Courtney. Um, But. I never wanted any of that. And not that I have it on that, you know, high of a level, but, um, insofar as I do, I don't want it to be because it's anything other than I, he was a good, he was in the mix for at least a little bit, you know? Yeah. There was a couple of years there where like, if he showed up, he, he had a chance to like compete with some, some really good runners. That's what, 
I would like to hold on to. So, um, not the social media or, or anything else, you know. So say more about the feeling of freedom, because I think mm. oftentimes what we're talking around here is that being a professional athlete and wrestling with a lot of those emotional considerations that we've talked about compromises our ability to enjoy the practice. Yeah. And now there you have the ability without those expectations to potentially yeah. reconnect with the joy a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Dylan, I feel like you've asked some pretty straightforward questions that I've managed to just like talk past. <laughs> no, so this I is apologize. fantastic. Uh, but you did ask me like, what are you looking forward to? Uh, you know, why now that, now that you're not committing, uh, everything to ultra running. Um, yeah. So I felt a weight lifted initially just because of what I was describing earlier, like the past at least six months, just really hard to get myself to train. And so, and, and then it's just this conflict either you don't go out and do the training that you know you need to. And then you have this like anxiety the rest of the day like you know the feeling it's like i didn't get that run in that i know i really needed to do horrible feeling or you're continuing to sacrifice all, a, a lot of things in your life in order to continue to make it happen even though you don't really want to be doing it yeah. and um neither one of those is a very fun place to be uh I, I don't think so i feel like a weight was lifted initially like the day after i was like I don't have to do this anymore. You know, like I don't have to force myself to go train. Um, so yeah. What, what does that mean exactly? Well, the way I would sort of, the way I look at it or would explain it is there's a lot of things to do in life. Um, I, uh, I think to do anything and make it worthwhile, you should do it to your fullest ability. And for me, that was all turning for basically 12 years, but there's other stuff I'd like to do, (laughs) you know, and, and you, you, you can't do those things to the fullest extent. I, I believe you can't get like the full experience of something else when so much of yourself is committed to ultra running. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what those other things are like necessarily, but I just know that I want to be able to pursue other interests and other things Yeah, like, I don't know, uh, go into a thrift store and walk it around for an hour. Like that sound, my, my wife loves that sort of stuff. I would never do that because I was so tired. Like I didn't want to walk around. So I, you know, that's like a really trite example, but like, but yeah. it's a blank slate. Um, and there's yeah. the feeling of freedom and excitement inherent in a blank slate. Yeah, exactly. I think that's right. I'd love to hear you talk about the sponsor thing and especially rabbit, you know, Monica DeVries is somebody I look up to and I know you have a personal relationship with her. She's been a guest on the podcast. It's been a few years now, the founder of rabbit, anything from any conversations with Monica in particular from, you know, like how you've sort of, I'm sure you initiated conversations with them about this decision. So I'm sure the listeners would love to hear how those conversations go to. Sure. Yeah. And I can only speak to my experience with this particular brand. Um, yeah. And, and Monica, uh, is a co-founder with Jill. Um, I don't know if you know, Jill. Deering. I don't. No. Um, okay. Uh, Jill is also great. So, you know, 
both both founders have been nothing but um, supportive. And I don't know, it, it, it just, the whole, my whole history and relationship with Rabbit, it's almost like it was created in a lab or something. Like it was just too good, I think. Like it just worked perfectly. There was never any friction. There was no, like, seemed like we were always kind of on the same page about everything the whole time I was there. Um, started when they were pretty darn small. Um, and frankly, I wasn't, I would say at the height of my powers in terms of my abilities as an ultra runner. And we both sort of like grew together and like got bigger together and had success together. And obviously they're very separate as well, but yeah, I just, I couldn't say more good things about rabbit. And in turn, so I'm telling you all that backstory just to like set the stage for like, I told him I was going to quit at the end of 2020 and they were like, well, we'd love to have you. Um, or I guess it was 2021, forgive me. Um, 2021. And they're like, well, you know, we'd love to have you for a couple more years or, you know, we'd love to resign you for another contract, but if that's what you want to do, fine. And then it got to like, like the end of the year in November and I put in for the States lottery and, uh, I was like, yeah, one more ride. Yeah, let's do it again. Yeah. Um, and they were totally, you know, totally cool. And so same same sort of deal this year. Um, Monica texted me just the other day. She wanted to catch up. So, we, yeah, I got to give her a call. But um, just text me. I was like, I'm bummed that uh, this is it. Um, which is, yeah. I mean, what more could you ask for Yeah. in terms of like, hey, I'm walking away and they're still calling my name. You know? Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, but you know, like, you know, they'd like, still be there for you if you wanted to come back. Yeah. Totally. A lot totally. of athletes don't have that luxury, you know? Exactly. Oh. Exactly. And so, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> and I think to your point though, Debo, like you don't see people retiring from the sport per se because they find other ways to be valuable for a brand. Mm-hmm. And like, you j- you really don't have to, necessarily because even then like yeah it's just different people different motivations you know the sport has a lot for everybody and like if you want to keep doing it you can go run less competitive races and still you know be winning races and your sponsor's happy right like as one example or you can be more of an ambassador and you know go to events and what like you can stay in the sport um but uh yeah any other convos with like your friends and training partners in flag or with your wife around this that you think the listeners would be interested to hear? Yeah, I think my friends are a bit puzzled. I feel, um, I mean, cause they're still my, in it. They're still in it. That's right. I mean, you know, my wife, Jackie has been amazing. Like yeah. she, if I told her I'm going to do this another 15 years, so get ready to cruise 60 more times, she'd be like, all right. But, you know, I think she's pretty excited that like, uh, my life will have more flexibility. Um, you guys can go on a vacation. But, that's not around a race. Maybe. Next yeah, exactly. Year? That's Dylan. That's the, <laughs> one of the first things she mentioned. Yeah. She's like, cool, let's go on an actual vacation. Not to go to one of your races, um, which I totally get. But yeah, in terms of my friends, um, cause you know, everybody I'm friends with guys that are really good runners. Um, and it hasn't been all like rainbows and butterflies. I don't think it is for anyone, but like, 
you know, my friends in particular, like gone through rough patches, low mm-hmm. patches. Um, and so, yeah, I think like trying to understand how I, I know that I don't want to do this anymore has been like a topic of conversation. I don't know that I've satisfied, um, the interest or, you know, uh, their curiosity, but I think it comes from a place of like, Oh, how, when's it going to be time for me? How am I going to know? But I, I think it's too idiosyncratic. Like I just really, I don't think you can brush in broad strokes when it comes to this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I don't know if, if that answers, answers yeah. your question, but uh, well, well now cool. they've, they've got a, a better, more reliable drinking buddy <laughs> when, uh, I, I, when everybody else is in hard training mode, like, Hey, you know, Sensman will go to the brewery with me. <laughs> I was kind of joking yeah. with them. Like I might need new friends because they, my friends don't drink very much. Yeah. And like, I would drink less for sure. But like, I like to drink and if yeah. I'm not training, yeah. you know, there might be some more of that. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say my alcohol intake has increased substantially <laughs> since my running has deteriorated. Maybe those two things are not unrelated. Dangerous correlation. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by HVMN and the Ketone IQ Supplement. Ketone IQ has become a huge phenomenon in endurance sport in recent years, allowing athletes of all levels to access new levels of performance. It was first adopted in cycling, especially among the professional ranks, but it's now finding its way into the running world, which is awesome and with great success. I recall seeing British ultra star Tom Evans smashing a ketone IQ as he jumped in the raft at the Rucky Chucky River Crossing on his way to victory, the 2023 Western States. Well, if it's good enough for Tom, it's good enough for me. Ketone IQ was invented by HVMN to help athletes of all levels reach their physical potential by boosting cognitive performance. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you know that your brain is key to performing at your best as a runner from fatigue resistance to improved focus and mental clarity. Ketone IQ can give you deeper brain power when the miles and exhaustion start to add up. This is something you really have to experience to understand. So make sure you give Ketone IQ a try. You can save 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ at hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30. Again, visit hvmn forward slash free trail 30 and subscribe upon checkout for 30% off. There is a link in the show notes of this episode as well. Thanks to HVMN. Let's talk about the state of the sport a little bit right now. And I ask because I'm like all in on trail running still first as a pro athlete now with our business and recently, and oh man, there's, I've been like the target of some, you know, criticism. And then recently there's been these like, super inflammatory, divisive moments of controversy. And both those things just like frustrate me really deeply and make me wonder like, is trail running actually going to save the world? Like we say it is, or are we just like everybody else divided and tribal and prone to cancellation and all that shit that happens in everything else (laughs) online. And so like, even though I'm a trail running evangelist, there have been a few moments recently that make me just like frustrated and like, man, I just want to walk away too. Does any of that resonate with you? Is there anything about like 
this moment in trail running that makes you want to leave or is is it purely a a performance and a change in motivation decision for you and you're still you know in love with the people the culture the community etc purely yeah purely a results thing for me um no no hard or no ill will towards ultra running at large, you yeah. know, or anyone in it, man, like anyone that I've met in, in the sport. Um, I mean, I have so many friends, right. Just from like being an ultra runner and like people are, um, my dog, <laughs> uh, people are really great in the sport as a whole. Yeah. Right. So yeah, nothing there at all. I think a lot of what's going on now will, will is viewed, I think is, is a bad thing because fair enough there are <laughs> there are some bad things but on the other hand this is what happens i think in any community or in any activity any organized group thing when it gets bigger so you know again some people might think that's good or bad that the sport's getting bigger but and it doesn't make it okay it doesn't justify it but I think you can at least explain what's going on is like, oh, this sport's starting to be something that that it wasn't. Yeah. Um. So I, that I don't know that that's really helpful in terms of like cultural commentary, but my, I guess my assessment would just be uh, the sport's growing and like money gets involved, power gets involved, um, that problems happen. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that that's not a factor or a variable contributing to the decision to to walk away. And I hope you will stay involved in the community. And I guess on that note, being more explicit about it, your post, your retirement post did say you're retiring from professional ultra running and you, in our conversation, have left the door open to maybe coming back and doing something more casually, more recreationally. How do you anticipate interfacing with the sport in the coming years? That's a good question. I don't know that I've thought too much about what that'll look like. You know, this one of the things I like the most about um about or opportunities that I've got has been the announcing. Like I've really enjoyed that. You know, it's been uh three times, I guess. Um, but I, I thought that's a lot of fun. And yeah, if I had opportunities like that, I, I'd be really excited. Um, I'm still, you know, I'll still be out at races. I still, I'm going to be at Black Canyon, like all three, my, but my buddies are all running it. Tim, Jared, Steven, all three of them are running it. So like, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Um, but it's, it's really the online stuff, man. It's like, I just never, I just don't like social media and that is a component like it or not, um, for basically everyone, uh, in the sport again, unless you're really, 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 really good uh, you know, you might get a pass, but yeah, it's kind of that stuff that I'm excited to step away from. Yeah. All right. Well, so what is next then? You know, like we all need to have careers <laughs> and athletes understand the value of like pouring our heart and soul into something. And I think it would be yeah. hard to walk away from the sport and not have something to kind of pour your heart into. What are you going to do professionally? And, and maybe if there's anything else like on the, the hobby or lifestyle front where you could devote some of that energy and commitment that you developed as an ultra runner. 
Yeah, so I started uh, a new job. So I've been working at Squirrels Nut Butter for the last over five years. Um, And it was great. Uh, A lot of fun working there. Chris Thornley, one of the best dudes in the world. Um, But, uh, you know, pretty small company. Like I felt like I'd kind of got to the end of the road in terms of like it being fulfilling and challenging. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, ended my job there at the end of May. And then I started, I have a friend who um, started a private equity company like four years ago. And I said, hey, uh, I need a job and I have no career experience. Uh, I think my brain works pretty well, though. And I know how to work hard as evidenced by, you know, my my career as an ultra runner. Um, you want to give me a job? Uh, and he graciously said, yeah, I'll start you like everybody else. And I said, cool. Um, but remember, we're really good friends. So, like, eventually, if there's some nepotism, we should be okay with that, right? <laughs> and he just kind of laughed. Uh, but yeah, so I'm like a month into the or five, six weeks into this job, and it's been awesome, man. I really enjoy it. Like, I don't. What kind of private like equity? Just, this is a huge left turn here, going from a professional ultra runner to a private yeah. equity guy, Eric Sensman, now an investment yeah, banker of sorts. He's, <laughs> um, it's primarily uh, real estate. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's, crazy interesting and yeah. just like learning a ton and so it's like really challenging and engaging like the day just flies by like yeah. i start working and then all of a sudden it's 2 3 p.m and i'm like whoa what happened awesome. i was like describing this to my wife who has worked hard her whole life at a regular job not you know running around in the woods and i like kind of was describing to her my first couple of days and she's like yeah, you're just describing work. Like that's what it means to have a job. Yeah, it's new to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's been good. Well, you look good as a working stiff, bro. Thank and, you. Uh, I do Thank think you, that. Diego. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of excitement and learning a new business, a new career path, something that's completely foreign, gives you a lot of opportunity to to grow and improve in the same way that you probably felt that when you're coming into trail running in your early mid twenties and feeling like, man, I'd l- really like to learn this, really like to see yeah. how good I can get. And, um, you know, that improvement process and that learning something new is something that can't be underestimated in terms of just like, you know, helping us grow and, and adding satisfaction to our lives. And just to add sort of a finer point on it and bringing things full circle here, you started by saying, you know, just sort of like, you wanting to always be authentic and tied to reality and truth. And it feels to me like this exa- this is an example of that, right? Of like, you know, you weren't a committed professional athlete anymore. And that does cause an internal tension. And this is an yeah. alignment, a realignment with authenticity and truth and acknowledging the authenticity of that change in motivation. So it's good that you can be honest with yourself about it. Cause I think a lot of people it would take a lot longer to, you know, sort of embrace that reality. So. Yeah. Well said. And, uh, maybe on a final note to your point, I, I, I suppose maybe I'm making this sound easy, but, um, like I said, it, it's been over two years that I've been thinking about this and I've definitely gone back and forth on it mm-hmm. over the years, but like, it took a while is my point. Like, I don't think you just wake up one day and say like, all right, I'm done. Um, it, it wasn't always easy, but I, like you said, kind of over time was able to kind of like be 
realistic um and objective and like you really don't want this anymore yeah. and i know it's tough to give up because you hold on to those really um fleeting and uh, limited as i call them moments that have happened like four or five times yeah. and you want that again but like remember you don't want to do all the stuff you have to do to get that mo- so like yeah it uh it takes time to like process for sure yeah so final question there and for you, Sensman, a question that I also ask everybody here on the show to close things out on a positive note. Who is one person that you admire inside or outside of sport can be living or dead? And why do you admire that person? I, another one I was good to, or happy to have advanced notice on, um, you know, I couldn't pick one without feeling like I was leaving out the rest. So I'm just going to say my grandparents at large, um, three of whom are still alive today, which is pretty crazy. Uh, one of whom is 102 years old. Uh, but yeah, all of them, um, are some of the most giving kind people that I've ever known. Um, and I think those are traits that, you know, um, help you live a fulfilling life and a life that adds value to other people, which I think is part of a fulfilling life, um, that kindness and that generosity. So those are the things I really admire about all my grandparents and, uh, yeah, try, try to, uh, retain those for myself as well. Dude, see, we have so much in common, buddy. I was in Chicago this past weekend to celebrate two of my grandparents who have just turned... That's why you were there. They've just turned 90. My grandfather, who is still completely lucid, crisp, clear, amazing thinker, brilliant person. But my grandmother, who is approaching the end, and we've all acknowledged that reality. And it was such a special thing to be back. You know, now that I'm a father myself, we took a photograph of me, my mom, my son, and my, my grandfather. So four generations, great grandfather. And one of the things that I remarked upon to harmony, because my family, as you can imagine, (laughs) a lot of people giving speeches, a lot of public speakers there. (laughs) And there was such an outpouring of love and respect for my grandparents who had seven children. So big family. And you know, that's one of the things that I said to Harmony is like, man, I hope when I'm 90, we can also have a table full of people <laughs> who are willing to stand up and like say good things about us. You know, there's nothing, yes. there's really nothing else worth striving for in life except for that. So anyway. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And, yeah. and you don't get to that place by uh, taking, I think you get there by giving. 100%. Um, yeah. Yeah. People who are surrounded with people that love them tend to be very generous people. So, um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right. Sensman. Well, it's good to catch up with you, buddy. And congratulations on making this decision. I hope the transition is inspiring, fruitful, and leads to an amazing new chapter of your life. And I'm sure the audience will appreciate you coming on and talking about it candidly. Yeah. Thanks, Debo. I appreciate you having me. Um, probably the only person I'd want to pod about this, uh, pod with about this. So thanks for, thanks for the invite. Hell yeah, buddy.
Bring on retirement. Good luck to Eric in this next chapter. And thanks to him for coming on the show and speaking so honestly about this moment of transition. Free Trail Pro members, send me your feedback. What did you think about the episode? Jump in Slack and let me know. Always love hearing what you think. If you're not a member, you are super missing out. The Free Trail community is the heart and soul of our entire operation. Member-only Slack, member-only content library, training plans, community meetups, and a lot more. We've actually started doing monthly welcome calls too for new members. And we're just starting to send out welcome gifts to all of our new annual members also as a thank you for the support. Membership is only $10 a month or $96 for the year. So come check it out. Big thank you to our sponsor, Speedland. Run speedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the GSPGH. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off these great nutrition products. Finally, Ketone IQ. Get 30% off your first subscription of Ketone IQ by visiting hvmn.com forward slash FREETRAIL30. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. We'll talk to you again very soon. Love you so much. Bye-bye.